Welcome to Welcome to Story. <laughs> I, I want to do that every week. I swear to God. Okay. Welcome to Welcome to the Outer Limits. Uncharted Territories. Unter- Third time. Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about Back and Back and Back to the Future, which, my God, might 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 just be the most boring uh, piece of television I think I've ever seen. Okay, so you've never seen this episode, because even though I've shown you the first few episodes of Star... Jesus Christ, do we even know what show we're watching? <laughs> That's how boring this episode is. Because even though I've shown you the first few episodes of Farscape in the past, I always skip over this one, because it is very boring. But... We are completists, mm. so now we are bringing it to you, our our listeners, and um, this is probably going to be a short episode. Because nothing happens, <laughs> and nothing spends a very, very long time happening. Hey, so, Max, do you know the Xena episode, Back in Chains? You mean Death in Chains? Yeah, Death in Chains. Do you know that Xena episode? I do. It is the episode where Midas catches death in a... Uh, death trapping chair it's called death in chains but really it's just a chair that has you know those things that drop down to uh capture whoever you're dining with yeah okay i just brought that up because that episode was written by um babs grayowski who also wrote this episode of farscape which i mean it's nice that farscape has so many female creative people right off the bat because this isn't the first episode with a female uh writer is it no it's not iet was written by sally lapidus mm-hmm and, um, Exodus from Genesis. We talked about this last week. Well, here's the thing. I think Rohume is a female. Uh. I think that's a woman's name, but I'm not sure. It could be a man's name. But, uh, yeah, this is the only episode of Farscape that Babs Grayhowski has written. I mean, Death and Chains isn't, like, spectacular or anything, but I'm kind of surprised this is, uh, so bad it, it's also not helped by the fact that the antagonist is one of the worst actresses i think i've ever seen oh yeah yeah which is funny because we're coming from having just recorded last week's episode of our charmed podcast which also featured an antagonist who was a terrible actor who brought basically the whole production down mm. yeah i mean shows not always, but often live and die by their villains. So even for episode of the week, people. Well, it's funny. When we were getting ready to watch this episode, I was trying to remember which one it was. I, Like I said, I usually skip over it because it's pretty boring. And I thought this was the one where Dargo gets his ship. And it's not. So really nothing happens in it. Ugh, Dargo. So I, I looked, because this is the only episode Babs Grahowski has written, so I looked to see what her other credits are and... That episode of Xena. Mm -hmm. Some episodes of Sheena. Sheena? Yeah, the Tarzan. Yeah, the the lady who's not the lady who's married to Kazar, even though they have really similar names. I mean, there is is a whole subgenre of women wearing animal skins, running through the jungle, having jungle adventures. I think that's... uh... Yeah, I think that was a thing. Well... This, this woman, Babs Krauske, she also wrote several episodes of Greatest American Hero. Oh, oh, that's so cool. Okay, so back to Farscape. Hmm. Wait, didn't Greatest American Hero come out in, like, the 70s? Yeah. Huh, that's a pretty long career. Yeah. So, uh, back to Farscape. Hmm. Uh, I thought, as boring as this episode is, the direction is very competent. Hmm. And this episode was directed by Rowan Woods, who 
directed next week's episode as well. <laughs> Thank God it's Friday again. And honestly, just several episodes of Farscape. Uh, he did a human reaction, which I am so excited to get to. And also Won't Get Fooled Again, which is interesting because Won't Get Fooled Again is kind of a sequel episode to a human reaction. Hmm. Yeah. It, it's always good when shows have creative team continuity. He also seems to kind of be connected to Chiana because he's done a lot of the major Chiana episodes. He did Taking the Stone, Home on the Remains, and uh, A Clockwork Nabari, which I know means nothing to you, Max, but for our listeners, he seems to have a real connection to Chiana, a character that you, Max, have not even met yet. That is true. They put a lot of effort into the names of these episodes, considering no one ever sees them. I, I know, it's strange, right? I mean... We shouldn't talk. We used to put effort into the names of our episodes. <laughs> yeah, but presumably people at least saw those. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we've put this off for as long as we can. So the episode, for as boring as it is, actually just throws you right into the middle of the action. We start off with a CGI shot of a ship that I think is actually pretty good for the time. Yeah, I think even for now, it's really good for tv cg yeah so it's a ship being consumed by like these green waves essentially Mm. and everyone's split on whether or not they should help the ship and by everyone i mean basically everyone's against rigel well xandargo and rigel are in command discussing whether they should save the ship or not not and it breaks down the way you would think. Zan thinks they should save the ship. Dargo thinks they should fend for themselves. And Rigel thinks that they should, you know, take off and wait for everyone to die and then go loot the ship. Dargo thinks that for now. For now. As as soon as Pilot tells them who the ship belongs to, he's like, oh, it's a people who are aligned with my people? Never mind. Let's go save them. Yeah, Dargo wants to stay clear and be safe. And then a message finally comes through from the people who are on board. It's an SOS distress call from two aliens mm. who are, what we will learn, are Elonics. A cousin race of Dargos. And not just a cousin race. They're not just related, but they have a treaty with each other. Mm. They have like a blood treaty that they will always have each other's backs. So now Dargo is insistent that they rescue these people also john thinks they should because john's genuinely a good guy so and aaron's not really speaking up at all well aaron's not on command mm. and once they decide to rescue them aaron apparently is just like okay whatever you know i, I was gonna say aaron doesn't get a lot to do this episode but she does zan kind of just drops out of the plot after a certain point zan does drop out of the plot aaron does a lot but doesn't have a lot of agency in this plot i mean she basically gets the one scene where she fights What's Her Bucket over and over and over again. Which is actually kind of my favorite scene in this episode. Mm. And not just because Erin is wearing her casual midriff bearing uniform this episode. I was going to say she's wearing her angriest tank top. I mean, I think she's just wearing a sports bra. It's a sports bra that's trying to get promoted. Because like half of it is kind of going down past where... It would go if it was just a sports bra. Yeah, I guess so. It's it's strange. So they save the two aliens. It's a lady, a young lady alien and an old man alien. And they're... Is, oh. is it a young lady? I mean, there's a lot of makeup happening. And she seemed kind of middle-aged to me. But I guess maybe she is supposed to be a young lady. Uh, I mean, there's so much makeup. Yeah. So 
as they're pulling the young lady and the old guy out of the ship, some electricity bites John on his hand. Yeah, John goes into the ship to make sure there's no one else there, and the green sparks spark into his hand and into his forehead, and Ben Browder gets to do a lot of physical face acting, which is his specialty. He's getting it out of the way because he is really on not giving a shit mode later in the episode. Well, I mean, Ben Browder, through as the show progresses, he will have a lot of chances to play stoned or drunk on either substances or alien things. Mm-hmm. And his manner of playing stoned or drunk or mind wiped or brainwashed or whatever it is he's playing is distinctive. And you're getting a little taste of what it's going to look like right now. Huh. Let me tell you, uh, John's brain, John's brain does not, is not treated well out in space. But Dargo comes up behind him and we can see that it's echoing. Dargo's saying there's no one else on board, but it's, there's no one else on board. There's no one else on board. There's no one else on board. We, the audience, can see that it's some sort of weird time loop, but John just dismisses him and says, I heard you the first time. He should probably go to the sick bay or what have you for Farscape. Yeah, he should probably talk to Zan, but he doesn't know anything happened He yet. He does I'm, not yet know that something has happened. I mean, he got electrocuted and then he had a, I mean, it's very clear that this isn't just him repeating himself over and over again. I mean, it's clear to us. You know what it really made me think of? What? The scene in Simpsons where Marge is driving down the road and she hears the voice of Homer telling her, you know, all of the flashing back to all of the high points of their relationship and then it's just Homer in the backseat with a paper towel roll. <laughs> I, I was thinking of the bit where you're, uh, she catches Bart vandalizing uh, city property and she's like, this town is a part of us all. A part of us all. A part of us all. I'm sorry to repeat myself, but it'll help it stick in your head more. And then later in the episode, he he starts thinking, like, uh, when he sees the Shelbyville kids stealing the lemon tree, she starts playing back in his head and he's like, huh, that does work. Well, it's weird that Simpsons did two completely different jokes about the same trope, and they're both very good. Yeah. Yeah. Early Simpsons is a very well-written show. I mean... It's all Harvard writers, so... And Harvard created comedy. Thanks, Harvard! So, meanwhile, Fish King is sitting in a chair. He's gonna spend most of this episode eating. Yeah, it's, um... It's basically Rigel is here this episode to illustrate the tragedy of the commons. Because once Dargo has decided that these are people that he has a blood debt to mm-hmm. he's going to help them at no cost he, he's he doesn't want to ask them for payment he's going to take care of them give them any resources they need feed them give them anything they need and remember these are criminals out in the middle of space so they don't have unlimited resources like they do on the enterprise so rigel realizes that if dargo's going to give away some of their food he should consume all of the food right now it's literally an illustration of the tragedy of the commons mm. He's eating as much as he can so that... Actually, it's mostly just to screw other people. That's what the tragedy of the commons is. Ugh. Yeah. So, Zan is like, wow, you're being kind of a greedy shit. And he's like, 
go have barely a subplot. Yeah. I mean, he basically, it's a comedic subplot-ish, his subplot, which is just eating a lot throughout the course of this episode. He's like Slimer. Yeah, he's he's a food monster in this episode. I mean, he uh, he's a food monster a lot of times, but this episode, that's basically all he does is be a food monster. Mm. So in the cargo bay, John and Aaron are talking to the Alonics, and they're telling them that they had no warning that there was anything wrong with their ship. The phase couplers just overloaded, and next thing you knew, it was atomically unstable, and the ship stopped being a ship. Yes, they're just two humble scientists who are doing science out in space when their ship randomly kerploded, and thank God that they came here or else they'd both be dead. They have some cargo on the ship, or some equipment on the ship, and Aaron, rightly, wants to know what it is and if it's a danger to the ship, but the Alonics don't want to tell her, partly because she's a peacekeeper and partly because... It's important scientific equipment that will help them win the war their people are in, so they don't want to share it. And Aaron's like, I don't, I honestly don't give that much of a shit. I'm just trying to make conversation. So, interestingly, there will be some other episodes where the crew will come across races or planets where they're in the middle of a vast planet-wide or even interplanetary war, and they'll assume that the crew, the, the Farscape crew will care, and they're just like, we are not from here. We could care less what you are doing with your whole thing. No bones in this fight. Yeah. Okay, so I know we mentioned it earlier, but Matala is such a bad actress. She is, like, Power Rangers villain level transparently evil. Yeah, she is transparently evil. Also, I know I said that I couldn't tell her age, Mm -hmm. but she's obviously supposed to be a sexy alien. These aliens have uh, tentacles coming off of their forehead, Mm. and the male alien has tentacles coming off his forehead, and they just, like, hang down, being all tentacly. Whereas hers are kind of pulled back, creating a crown effect on her head. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the thing it reminded me of the most is another thing that will mean nothing to you, but Delenn from Babylon 5, who was also supposed to be sexy even though she's an alien. Hmm. Are they trying to pull from, uh, who are the blue stripper aliens from Star Wars? The, like, Twi'leks or... There is something kind of Twi'lecky, Twi'lecky, about them. So, speaking of sexy aliens, John gets a flash? Yeah, it's all season four of Lost where they're flash-forwarding. When do they start flash-forwarding? I don't remember which season it is, but John gets a flash of Metalla Groping him while they both make weird sex faces? Okay, I know she's a terrible actress. I know that she's one of the things that's bringing this episode down, but the face she makes when she grabs John's crotch is honestly the best part of the episode. Yeah, yeah, it is. The Okay. It's like it's cartoonishly excited. She like opens her eyes really wide and like moves her eyes back and forth like she can't believe what she's just discovered. Yeah, yeah. She, she looks like she has a comedy orgasm face. 
Yeah, it's... Like that one guy in the room. But also, John is doing a weird orgasm face, which does not make sense given what we find out is going on in that scene later. Yeah, it's very misdirected. (laughs) But John comes back from his little flash, and he tells Aaron, I just had... I have no idea what I just had. And I appreciated that. Yeah. Because normally when people have... On television, when people have these, like, strong images or flashes, they act like they're not surprised by it. It's like, oh, doesn't everyone disassociate from reality like that all the time? I guess I was just daydreaming. But I do like he's like, yeah, I don't know. I had a weird flash thing and saw weird stuff. And Aaron's like, well, sounds like you should probably go lie down and stop talking to me about this. Yep. I love how disinterested Aaron is in everything that's going on this episode. Even when she realizes the huge issue with these aliens, she still only seems, like, interested in an academic sense. So, Rigel is being really rude to the new alien guests, so Darko pinches his eyebrows until he stops being rude, and he's like, uh, these are my genetic cousins. I have an oath of fealty to them, so why don't you shut up and crawl into your little king hole? Yeah. So he tells Rigel they're not going to charge them, they're going to take care of them, and they're going to take them to the coordinates that the aliens have provided so they can rendezvous with their ship, which, according to Pilot, will take 12 arns, which is, like, hours. It'll take 12 hours. Mm. I'm sorry. Look, look, last week you were like, is a cycle a year? And it's like, yeah, a cycle is a year. But I like that they have a different word for it because why would a cycle be, why would their year match when this planet they've never heard of goes around its sun? 12 of your Earth minutes. They're not my Earth minutes. They're everyone's (laughs) Earth minutes. There's an episode later where John needs Dargo to do something and he needs him to coordinate this attack they're doing. So he needs dargo to wait 30 seconds and dargo's like i don't know what that means so john teaches him one mississippi two mississippi three mississippi okay i get i I like that better than oh it's weirdly enough all coincidentally the same units of time just with different names oh i assume it's not the same unit of time i assume it's like 56 minutes Mm. or you know 70 minutes but you know it's close enough okay because i feel like there are certain divisions of time that are... Heliocentric? No, no, the opposite of that. I feel like there are certain measurements that would be universal, mm. you know? And and obviously it wouldn't be exact because it's not heliocentric. But, you know, when you're talking about ages, there'd be a certain, you know... Or rather it would be a... Galactic? A multiple heliocentric. Yeah. <laughs> you just do the universal average for planets where sentient life has evolved. And... I actually assume that's what cycles are. Mm. Because I assume most people would track a year by their seasons. So most planets would have a year based on their, you know, planet's rotation. Mm-hmm. And Galactic standard would just be the average of all of those. Uh... Yeah. Or, you know, the average of the races that formed whatever the first alliance was. So I'm guessing Farscape doesn't have an episode where there's, like, a cowboy planet, then. It's it's not like Star Trek. Yeah, there's not a cowboy planet. Coincidentally, our planet evolved to be exactly like 16th century Scotland. 
But then you would divide things into, like, understandable metrics. And I feel like an hour or, you know, something roughly an hour would be something most races would have. But obviously it wouldn't be 60 minutes for everyone. Mm. So, you know, they just came up with one. Boy, we're really trying not to talk about this episode. <laughs> I guess we are. Well, you know, it's it's actually convenient that this episode is so boring because... You and I probably had to have a discussion about cycles and arns if we're talking about sci-fi tropes. Yeah. So this is this is the best episode to have it in because not a goddamn thing happens in this episode. <laughs> so, yes, uh, Matala is going to bring old man some food and she's taking Dargo with her so that after they feed the elder scientist, they can boink. Yeah, well, we get to have a scene where Dargo has a conversation with the older alien where the older alien asks him, you know, what he was imprisoned for. Or rather, was it for being a traitor? And as soon as Dargo's like, nope, he's like, oh, then fuck it. I don't care what you did. This is actually really important because what we're establishing here is that Dargo has not actually told anyone the whole story of why he was imprisoned. And honestly, I don't know if... We've talked on this podcast about the reason Dargo was imprisoned. I know we've talked about it in general, but it was... What was that thing in the Bible with... Was it King David who was uh, in love with one of his soldiers' wives, so he kept on sending the soldier out to the front lines in hopes that he'd get killed and he could marry the woman? Bathsheba. Yeah. Yeah. That... I mean, it's sort of that adjacent, right? Um, No, but I kind of don't want to fill you in. Until we get there, because it is when we finally get the moment where Dargo reveals what happened, it's kind of supposed to be surprising. Mm. And it connects to Dargo's motivation, which, as I have told you multiple times, we still really don't understand Dargo's motivation yet. Uh, He was on the Foxhole app, right? Wow, referencing last season of Silicon Valley. Okay, okay. I... We, we try to make this podcast as accessible as possible for everyone. <laughs> I really do think, as boring as this episode is, this is the first episode that starts to hint that there's more to Dargo than just being Space Warrior guy. Which is ironic, because this is the most Space Warrior honor-filled uh-huh. guy that we've seen, but it hints that there's something going on with him, that he might have some motivation other than just, like, being a good Luxon. Hmm. The alien guy tells him that he doesn't know this because he's been in jail for eight cycles, but that three cycles ago, the Elonics went to war with another race, the Scorvians, and the Luxons are fighting by their side, and that's what's going on right now. They're in the middle of a war. Mm. Yep, massive casualties, no end in sight. If only someone could come up with some sort of super weapon that would end the war immediately. That always works out. Mm. So... Dargo's like, wait, are we still aligned? Did I miss something? And the guy's like, yeah, we're totally still aligned. Alanians and Luxons were like, uh... Milk and cookies. Yep. Imagine how awkward it would be if they weren't. Although, really, the Alonics wouldn't tell Dargo, because Dargo was all like, I will help you because of our blood oath. Yeah, you can have anything you want on this ship. Anything. I mean, they're definitely not gonna tell him... Oh, guess what? We're not allies anymore. Mm. So, meanwhile, Metalla 
is doing stupid dance fighting at Aaron. Okay, Aaron goes onto their ship to investigate. And honestly, Vitala is cartoonishly evil, but I'm on her side here. She has told them that there is scientific data in here that they're trying to preserve. So she goes and she jumps Aaron to stop her from destroying the data. And yes, she, her fighting, okay, dance fighting is like Capoeira. Mm-hmm. I really feel like her fighting looks like Tai Chi. Oh, I was going to say this also super accessible uh, thing here. She looks like how Gandhi dances in Clone High. <laughs> okay, well, okay. Or the mutated clone of Muri Curie dances in Clone High. She's like, oh, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Look at my arms. They're going all crazy. Well, the thing about doing a weird cartoonish fighting is that Aaron's able to be like, oh, you've been professionally trained. (laughs) And she's just waving her hands in the air as though she does not care. Well, if this was a different episode of a different show, I would be really shipping Aaron and Matala right now. She just looks so stupid. And she's she's doing this stupid dance, and Aaron's like, Ah, yes, I see you've been professionally trained. What, <laughs> what are you doing? Poor Matala. All right. Later on, Aaron is telling the rest of the crew her suspicions, because it doesn't make sense to her that an army would send two people... Two scientists and no warriors and no one else out into the middle of the uncharted territories. That strikes her as soups suspicious. Eh, I mean, they'd obviously be developing weapons. Yeah, but if the peacekeepers did that, there would be a contingency of soldiers with them to protect them. Mm. Well, I mean, I think it makes sense if you're developing tactical nukes or whatever that you don't want a bunch of extra people, especially if... They've been having this war for a really long time and it's not going well. Especially if the weapon you're developing might suddenly go crazy and destroy the entire ship. Yeah. Yeah. Like, honestly, I think it all tracks pretty uh, pretty well. Yeah. But not for Aaron. She is suspicious. John is trying to keep up with the conversation, but it's hard because he has another flash of him and Matala. Death fighting, but sexy death fighting? Well... It's aggressive, aggressive humping is what he sees. Yeah, like, it's Metallo throwing him onto the ground, a bed. It's, it's his bed. And then kind of pulling at him. Well, she pulls his legs and, like, jumps in between them. And he's like, so I keep having these weird flashes of being woman handled by Metalla And Aaron's like, Jesus Christ, or... Space Jesus Christ. She already has Dargo by his space testicles. Does she also have you by your space testicles? And John's like, no, definitely not. So now explain to me, can humans and aliens have sex? Which, again, I appreciate as a sci-fi trope. Mm. I appreciate that John's like, wait, wait. I know that in Star Trek, Kirk just has sex with everyone, but... In actuality, we are different species. Do our genitals even align? This line of thought is interrupted by another flash where Metella tears John's shirt to expose Ben Bradder's abs because he's been doing a lot of sit-ups. He's cool with this now. Yep. And he's like, 
uh, I, I just had another one of the flashes. I, I think I need to go be alone for a bit. I'll be in my bunk. And Zane's like, masturbation. And Aaron's like, please don't talk to me. It's, it's actually a really weird flash because she appears to be like gnawing on his stomach. Yeah. But his facial expression is... It indicates that he's receiving a blowjob. Yeah, which, no, she's she's literally gnawing on his stomach. It's not a sex thing. It's a, although I don't know, what, I guess she didn't want to get fabric in her mouth when. Yeah. I just, her attack, her, her attacking John is very, very sexual. So, old scientist is doing old science and Stargo comes in and he's like, hey, I want to have another meandering conversation about our culture or whatever with you. Also, I want to I want to imply things about my backstory, but not say anything. Yeah, he talks about how he kind of wants to bone Metalla and how he hasn't had his rocks off for 10,000 years or whatever. Okay, he- look, I appreciate this. Because if you assume that, in general, people are not going to be attracted to... Luxons? No, no, I, I meant any alien was probably only going to be attracted to aliens of their own species. In yeah. general. Obviously, that's not a given across the board. But, you know, he hasn't seen another Luxon in eight years. Or Luxon-adjacent species. Right. And he just wanted to make sure that Matala and this old guy were not an item before he, you know, pitched his troth. Because uh, that masturbation knife of his is getting pretty dull by now. Oh, God. Oh, God. Well, Metalla comes in, and she is giving indications that she is up for it. She's, like, stroking some of the stuff that Dargo's been working on, and she's like, I've always been interested in Luxon objects. This macaroni box is so smooth against my skin, and this knife is so cold against my skin. Then John comes in and is like, hey, Dargo. We need to talk in the hallway, away from the weirdly hot alien. And John tries to explain to Dargo the weird flashes he's been having. He wants to know, like, is this a thing Elonic women can do? Can they, like... Yeah, do they have, like, psychic sex powers? Do they emit hallucination-causing hormones? Which, honestly, this is a pretty good leap of logic for John. Yeah, but Dargo's like... Um, no, I call dibs. Yeah, he's like, no, nope, keep your weird human paws off her. I'm going to bang her. And if you even think about it, I'm going to kill you. And I love John being like, I don't want to have sex with her. Not to keep referencing other things, but buckle in. There's going to be a lot of that. Of all the horrifying, gross crab monsters on this planet, you are apparently the hottest. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that a human would be attracted to an Elonic. They're, you know, like I said, they're they're done up in the way that sexy aliens are often done up. But John is not interested, and Dargo is not believing that. Dargo's like, stop having fantasies about her. I called dibs. And he growls at John, and John's like, I'm actively grossed out by all of that. Have at it, bro. I just want to stop having these weird flashes. Speaking of, another weird flash kicks in, and it's Aaron telling him that she doesn't trust the scientists. Yeah, it's weird. We, like, flash to Aaron talking to John down the hall, and 
Then when we flash back, John is still standing where Dargo has left him. He walks down the hall, runs into Aaron, and then has exactly that scene where Aaron asks where Dargo is and says that she doesn't trust Matala and the old alien guy who's named Varel. And John is like, whoa, whoa, this literally just happened. There's a space word for it. It's like deja vu, but spacey. Yeah, we'll learn that word later. Uh, but, oh, wait, no, that was from the, that was from the Star Trek episode. Oh, yeah, after we watched this episode, Tina showed me. Cause and effect. Mm. The Star Trek episode where the ship keeps blowing up and then they rescue Fraser. I laughed so hard the first time the ship blew up. That would be a deeply hilarious way to end a Star Trek series. Like, you're at the beginning of an episode, and suddenly the ship just blows up, and then it's 40 minutes of space shots. So, um, that's actually kind of what was supposed to be the joke of the second episode of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a radio show before it was a book. Mm -hmm. And Arthur and Ford just get kicked out into space in the beginning of the episode, and Douglas Adams didn't know what he was going to write after that. And he was like, what if I just had them die and float in space for 30 minutes? And that was the end of the series. And then all of the people at BBC Radio were like, no, no. And that's how we got the improbability drive. So to talk about the episode, John has started to realize that the flashes he's getting are, in fact, flashes of the future. <gasps> which means that he is definitely going to bang Metalla. Because he is having really unhelpful premonitions. Which is funny, because in our Charmed episode from last week, Phoebe didn't actually have any of her unhelpful premonitions. Yeah. So I guess John's making up for it in this episode. It's good. It's good our two podcasts are working in sync. So Metalla walks by all sexily, and John's like, there's trouble. It's not helped that her outfit is basically S&M Power Rangers villain. Yeah, it really is. It's like a red bodysuit with, like, a black corset over it and, like, tight black pants. Like, it really, really does not work for her. I mean... It's like a Star Trek uniform, only worse in every way possible. Yep, yep. So, meanwhile, old scientist guy is dead. Yes, John and Dargo come across Varel, and while they're trying to figure out what happened... Matala kills both of them. She does this, like, weird spider strike thing where she, like, lifts up her two fingers and then jams them into her victim's collarbone. Yep, and then she snaps Dargo's neck and then she snaps John's neck. And then we go back to John because this has all been a future flash and he's like, oh, shoot, that's bad. That's definitely bad. He also says... That he has become unstuck in time. Hmm. Which is a reference to Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. So, he flashes back in time to tell Dargo, Hey, don't trust Metalla, she's gonna murder us both. And Dargo's like, you're just saying that so I won't fuck her before you do, you gross sack of crap. Yeah, Dargo does not want to hear what John has to say. It's unfortunate but also feels very real to me Hmm. i mean look dargo's finally found a woman that he wants to have sex with who might want to have sex with him back i don't think he's gonna want to hear she's actually evil at least not until you know yeah 
he wants to James Bond it. Sure, sure. Just have sex with the evil lady and then kick her out of an airlock so you don't have to have an awkward conversation. This conversation... How is James Bond not a bad guy in more things? James Bond is 100% a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. But like... Why don't more people know that? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's something I kind of appreciate about the Craig Bond movies, where they're pretty upfront about James Bond being a reprehensible human being. I'm trying to remember which movie it's from. I'm pretty sure it's from one of the Sean Connery Bond movies, but he has sex with one of the henchwomen, mm-hmm. and then he reveals that he knows she's a henchwoman, and she says, you're not going to kill me, not after what we did together. And he says, well, I couldn't very well have killed you before. Yeah, right? Villain! That's a fucking villain line! Anyway, John and Dargo's conversation about why Dargo should definitely not have sex with Matala Mm -hmm. is interrupted by Varel, who informs them that Matala is currently in the cargo bay doing warrior dance fighting with Aaron. Yes, Aaron wanted to uh, see her moves, so to speak. Yes, exactly. And John is just not acting here. It feels like he got to the halfway point in the episode and he's like, you know what, this isn't very good. I'm just not going to try anymore. He's like, I'm just going to mark my lines and then we'll figure it out when you figure out a better script. Yeah. John runs into Aaron and... Matella. On their way down to the cargo bay. And he wants to make sure that they're going to be down there for a while. Because as long as they're down there, the vision he had of Matala killing Pharrell can't happen yet. And he can figure out what he's going to do. I love that Matala and John are having this weird loaded conversation because he suspects her and she's trying to fool him. And Aaron's like, are we going to fucking fight or not? What is happening? Literally, she says, come if you're coming. Which I love how little patience Aaron has for everyone in this episode. It mirrors the viewer's feelings. Yeah, there's a real sense of, can we just get this over with? Yeah, definitely. Speaking of, Rigel's eaten. Yeah, poor Rigel and Zan, you're right. They get very little to do in this episode. But Zan comes across Rigel eating all the food cubes because, you know. He's not going to share. Yeah. And Zan feels like there's something wrong with the ship. And she wants to know if Rigel is in tune with the ship enough to feel like there's something wrong with the ship. And Rigel's like, that is not my deal. No, I do not feel something wrong with the ship. Man, her powers are very barely useful. Yeah, yeah. She's got a real Deanna Troy thing going on here. I think when we were watching this episode, you mentioned that her powers are even less useful than Deanna Troy's. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, no, yeah, she's she's like Deanna Troy if Deanna Troy couldn't do anything ever. Poor Deanna Troy, she's so hard done by in Star Trek. At least Zan is not dismissed the way Deanna Troy is, even though, yes, her, her magical powers are not really all that. Okay, so can Deanna Troy actually use telepathy and she just chooses not to? Because her mom yells at her in one of the episodes you showed me for speaking and not using telepathy and i'm like is this just like she's half beta z yeah she can engage in telepathy with other betazoids because they, they both have it it's going both ways but she can't be telepathic with other non-telepathic races with the notable exception of Riker, who is her soulmate mm. so they have telepathy with each other okay 
I thought it might just be like a, you know, if you grew up with a French family who speaks French all the time, but you leave and you don't speak it for a few years and you kind of lose it. Yeah, I know. It's not that. Uh. Now, in Babylon 5, mm-hmm. the telepaths are specifically trained to not use their telepathy, but that's mostly because... Isn't there like a government group hunting them or something? Actually, or... they are owned and controlled by the government. If you're a telepath, the government, like, takes you from your parents and raises you and you become government property yeah that's like a whole thing but also they train you to not use your powers because people don't want other people reading their thoughts all the time fair yeah meanwhile Aaron is kicking the crap out of metalla i love this she's being so casual metalla's doing her weird arm wavy you know thing and Aaron's just shoving her over okay it's weird because Theoretically, they're sparring, but there appear to be, like, no rules of engagement here. Aaron's just, like, throwing punches and, like, doing headbutts. Like, what? What is this? Aaron was like, hey, an excuse to beat the crap out of someone. Right? And there appears to be no attempt to not hurt the other person. Like, if you're sparring, you, like, pull back or don't make contact or something. But no, Aaron's just like, great, I'm gonna punch you in the jaw. So Aaron is handily kicking Metalla's ass all over the trading room until Metalla uses her scorpion spike because she's a scorpion person, actually, to poison Aaron unconscious. Yeah, she does the hand thing that John saw in his image, except she strikes Aaron's collarbone, and now Aaron is unconscious in a very arty shot. We see her splayed out on what we will learn in later episodes is the emblem of the peacekeepers which is on the floor of the cargo bay. We've never seen that on the floor before, but it makes the shot look really striking when we get the big wide crane shot of Aaron splayed out after being beaten. It is a good design. It was, it's not super Rothko-y. It made me think of Rothko right off the bat, but just the like really simple geometric designs. Maybe Basquiat. Actually, you know who it reminds me of? It reminds me of some of Georgia O'Keeffe's non-flower paintings. Huh. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. It's just very sharp, geometrical uh, cuts. You know what it is? What? It's the shapes from the camel episode of Parks and Recreation. Oh, I like these shapes, yeah. The, the shape, the painting that... Tom gets really into. Yes. I've been staring at it for four hours. Zan, meanwhile, in her subplot, in her sub-subplot... Her sub-sub-subplot, where it's just her going around asking people if they hear, if they feel something weird. Well, she's asking the Alonics now if they felt anything weird on their ship before it blew up. And they're like, we told you at the beginning that there was no warning, it just blew up. And she's like, okay, but was there anything strange that you dismissed that now, looking back, you're like, oh, that was definitely a warning sign? Now, Zan wants to go speak with old guy barrel but uh-oh metalla doesn't look too happy about that yeah metalla kind of follows along and is in the corner carefully watching this conversation so xan has kind of figured out that you know they're not just two random scientists doing space science in space but rather they were building a weapon blah 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 yeah well so the thing that happened with their ship was a phase imbalance which okay And they said that the explosion happened in a system of their ship that doesn't exist on Moya, so Zan needs to calm down. But Zan knows enough to be suspicious. Hmm. 
So John goes to see if Rigel has any useful information, which, shocker, he doesn't. And it's funny because the only thing Rigel's useful for is throwing John into another vision where, again, he's back where he was before. He sees Varel dead. Dargo comes running in and tries to tend to Varel. But now John is on high alert because he remembers that this is where he gets killed by Metalla. Speaking of, Metalla sneaks into the room. She almost plunges uh, her thing into John, but then John blocks it. And then she just kicks his ass handily anyway. Then he flashes back to talking to Rigel. And of course he has a freak out because, you know, he just came back from a hallucination. Zan is like, what happened? And John's like, I really don't have time to get into what's going on. And runs to the lab where Dargo is having a conversation with the Alonix. Basically, they're telling Dargo that the weapon they were building needs to be inside of a containment field. The weapon is, in fact, the thing that made their ship blow up. But it's okay. They have a containment field now. It's just that the containment field wasn't in place before they needed it on their ship. But everything is 100% fine now. Yeah, and... They're asking him why he doesn't trust them. I mean, they try to play on the blood oath, you know. They're like, we need this to protect the Alonics. Can't you help us protect our people? And Dargo fucking buys it. So, John has decided to actually tell Zan what's going on. And, okay, he starts by picking up this, like, ceramic mask that she has in her room. Mm Mm-hmm. And then starts telling her about his premonitions. And he tells her, like, either I'm having premonitions or I'm going bonkers. And she's like, you know, I'm psychic, right? Like, this isn't out of the realm of possibility. Also, John knows he's not going crazy. He's seen that they happen. And Zan is like, okay, wait, so you're seeing the future. So change the future. She's very matter of fact about this. Yeah. John points out that he hasn't been successful in changing the future, so he needs to, like, get to the core of why Metalla is trying to kill them, and then he'll, you know, be able to figure it out. Then he drops the mask, so it'll be a significant point for him to flash back to later. It's like the wine glass that Beverly Crusher breaks in the beginning of Cause and Effect. Hmm. Yeah. So John goes to confront Metalla about why she keeps on murdering people in the future. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not evil at all. She actually tells him to calm down, which, as you know, does not make people calm down. In fact, it causes John to pull a weapon on her. And she's all like, you just need to go and rest and relax. Then, okay, then she throws herself to the ground because she sees Dargo coming up behind John and is like, oh, good. So she throws herself to the ground and is like, no, John, please don't hurt me. And then... So this is the worst trope, right? What she does, what she tells Dargo? Yes. Yes. Sorry, go on. But it's just, it's the worst trope. Yeah, yeah. In an episode... That doesn't actually have too many bad tropes, just bad writing. Yeah, no, the the woman falsely accusing a man of sexually accosting her is a terrible trope. And that's exactly what she does. And Dargo kills John with his Qualta blade. Yeah, it's really, really unpleasant and uncomfortable. And also, my God, can this woman not act? No, she cannot. 
But then John flashes back and he's back in Zan's room talking to her again. And he's still holding the unbroken mask. So he tells Zan, hey, I tried to change things. It didn't work. And then he fucking breaks the mask again. What a dick. What a dick. I do love Zan's facial expression when she break when he breaks her mask. She's like, it's fine. Whatever. Like, she knows she can't, there, she knows there's nothing to be done, so she's not going to throw a fit, but she clearly wants to. That was my grandma's face, but fine. I mean, it probably was. Something like that. Yeah. So, she keeps on telling him, she's like, okay, look, you, why don't you just use your premonitions to figure out, like, how to resolve the situation? Just keep on doing different things until you find a timeline where you don't die. Actually, I like this because she's like, well, why don't I just go tell Dargo not to kill you? <laughs> And John's like, what? No. That won't work. Uh, speaking of people who have abs in this episode. Oh my god, Claudia Black. Yeah, Claudia Black comes into the room in her... Angry tank top. Her uniform sports bra. And god damn her abs. Seriously, you could grate cheese on them. She tells Zan and John what she has discovered, that Matala is not Alonic, she's Scorvian. So she's had some sort of plastic surgery to make herself look Alonic, but Scorvians are the ones who have that scorpion strike move. Ah, Scorvian. Scorpion strike. Well, it's, it's actually called the Scorvian Neural Stroke, but whatever. I do love how John kind of, John's like, oh, she did the, the thing to you, and he, he imitates it, and Aaron's like, how do you know stuff? And he's like, I'm seeing the future. It's a whole thing. So they have this whole conversation about how Matal is a Scorpion who's spying on them because they're building space nukes. And they must be building space nukes to end the war. And that's why they have a spy to see what they're doing, which is building space nukes to end the war. Look, the whole conversation is frustrating because we're already there. We've been going on these jumps with John. We know what's going on. And I do like how much Aaron... Aaron speaks for the audience in this episode. She's like, enough talk. Let's just go confront them. Yeah, let's just throw Matella out of an airlock and stop worrying about this. Right? John points out that they need to separate Dargo from them first because Dargo has some sort of blood loyalty to them and he will not listen to reason. Mm. So Pilot calls and he's like, hey, you know how we've maimed it more than halfway through the episode with nothing being wrong with the ship? Something's wrong with the ship. The phase imbalance is... The phase imbalance that Zan was sensing is a thing, and it's getting bad. And Zan calls Dargo and says he has to meet her up on command so they can deal with it. I like I like this because John knows that the Elonics will want to stay with Dargo, but also that the Elonics won't leave behind their shuttle with the weapon on it. Mm-hmm. So this is the way to separate them. If you bring Dargo to command... One of them will go with him, and one of them will stay with the shuttle, and at least that way they can kind of figure out what's going on. You know, Metella kind of reminds me a lot of the ear woman from IET if she was a worse actress, to the point where I'm like, is it the same actress just in heavy makeup? I don't think it is, but they have a lot of similar mannerisms with, like, lip biting. I can see that, but no, it's definitely not the same actress. Yeah. So she's trying to recruit Dargo to join the Elonic military. She also tells Dargo that she's afraid that someone on the ship might be a Scorpion spy. <sighs> so that Dargo can say the ironic line, no one on this ship is a Scorpion spy. 
But yeah, she tries to seduce Dargo. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah, this scene is weird. And also, it's made weirder by the fact that John is spying on the whole thing from behind a corner. Also, the two actors have too much makeup to be able to actually kiss or touch at all. Yeah. So she's like... She's stroking his prosthetics. He's <laughs> he's touching her prosthetics. Not to go to our other podcast, but it's kind of like when Ghost John Cho and Piper were trying to figure out how to interact since they couldn't actually touch each other. Yeah, they're just kind of waving their hands around each other. Yeah. So while this is all going on, John goes down to talk to Varel. And tell him, hey, you know what? I'm pretty sure that you're here to build a weapon, not to do research. Oh, good. We get to hear about the space nukes for the 10,000th time this episode. Yeah. Also, he tells Varel that Matala is a spy, that she is an alien, and that she is a spy. He also lets Varel know that he's become unstuck from time and that he's seen into the future, that he's having future flashes, which causes Varel to take out some sort of tricorder. It's his future flashes detector. Yeah, and it's like, beep, 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 beep. Ah, you are having future flashes. My word. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that it's like, yeah, you must have been exposed to, you know the thing and like this is a side effect becoming unstuck from time is just a side effect of what we're doing should have put on your time pants mm-hmm. yep yep you should have put your time gloves on before messing with the time thing he believes john and he tells john exactly how the space nuke works like it's a little black hole so okay this is a terrible episode mm-hmm. i i would never argue otherwise but it is interesting that it involves an alien race who's trying to harness a black hole to use as a weapon because essentially the continuing plot of this whole show starting in the second season on is going to be a bunch of alien races fighting to control the technology to use wormholes as weapons. Mm. So it's kind of a little bit of a, of a prelude to what's to come. So, now that Metalla has Dargo on her side, she's going to go confront them, but it was all just a trick to get his giant stupid gun. His Qualtha Blade. I don't think it was a trick to get his Qualtha Blade. I think she thought she could pull this off, but when Dargo and Metalla come down, she sees that Varel and John are talking, and she thinks that, you know, the jig is up. So, she strikes Dargo and takes his sword gun and then kills Varel. So, John is stuck behind a table, and he's trying to wake up Dargo, because he's just been a font of usefulness this episode. Right? I mean, so we've seen that the strike doesn't kill you, though. When she struck Dargo and John in his flash forward, then she had to break their necks. Mm -hmm. And when she struck Aaron, Aaron was back a few minutes later. So we know that Dargo will wake up in a few minutes. So that's normal. Speaking of Aaron, Aaron and her abs show up with a giant gun. Yes. So Matala has made a run for her shuttle. And Aaron's like, well, I'll just take it down with my gun. And she starts shooting her gun at the shuttle, which causes all of the green tentacles that were taking down the ship originally to come out and start encompassing both the shuttle and all of Moya. And Moya gets completely destroyed by the green tentacles. And then we flash back to John 
in Zan's room holding that death mask. I do like how they go through him to get into Moya. Because he's just, he's standing in the bay window or whatever. And all of the energy goes through him and then sucks in Moya. Yeah. So now he's going to have even more flashes or become the phoenix or something. Yeah, right. (laughs) So he has her mask and he sets it very carefully on the floor. And then he steps on it. (laughs) Like, what the hell? What are you thinking if you're Zan? Like, what, what is going on right now? What a dick move. I don't get why he breaks the mask. I mean, wouldn't you, shouldn't he have set it gently on the cushion where it goes so that he can prove that he doesn't, that he can change the future? That he cannot break the mask? No clue. So Aaron comes in and she's like, so guess what? And John's like, Matal is a scorpion. And Aaron's like, yeah, that. And Aaron's like, what's going on? And Zan's like, he says he can see the future. And she's like, but you can barely function in the present. Ugh, shut up, Aaron. Uh, I mean, Aaron's great. Especially, she is like the one ray of light in this episode. But John's been carrying the team for so long at this point, And you've only been doing this for like a month. Also, I mean, they would already all be very dead if John wasn't having these flashes. Yeah. So, yeah, this is another episode where John's going to save the day. Also, we haven't seen Space Ponytail in so long. Oh, I know, right? I didn't realize how long it was that we don't get Crace. I mean, I guess it makes sense because Lonnie Tupu, who plays Crace, mm-hmm. also voices Pilot. Oh. Yeah. So in another show, you would have to shoehorn in one scene with him every episode since he's a regular character who, you know, gets paid to regularly appear on the show. Mm-hmm. But since he's pilot, he's in every episode. Smart. Yeah. So John has realized that essentially they're not going to succeed unless they separate Dargo and Metalla because everything that they've tried has had Dargo still be with the super sexy spy. And that's just, that's not what you want. You don't want Dargo with the super sexy spy. Nope. So this time they do send Zan to get Darko away from everyone else by saying, hey, can you talk to Rigel? He's eating literally all of our food, and I need you to pick him up by his ankles and shake him until he pukes it back up. And Darko's like, yeah, that sounds like more fun than having sex. Bye! She she tells Darko that that essentially Rigel's been drafting an invoice for the Alonics, so he needs to go beat up Rigel. And I like that this is the kind of thing that would cause Dargo to leave the Alonics, specifically because... Honor. It, yeah, it would be it would be impolite to his guests for them to have to see him deal with this. So he goes up to command where John and Zan are there to, like, keep an eye on him, but Rigel's nowhere to be found. Back in the lab, in the workshop, Varel is still trying to... Get the containment field stable. I mean, I know that I know that from Varel's point of view, this is like an important weapon and things and stuff, but it was very rude to their host to bring this unstable weapon on board. Yeah. Like, you can't just count on another ship coming by if you fuck it up again. So in command, Aaron and John and Zan are all trying to convince Dargo that Matala is a spy. I mean, I know that this is going to work eventually, but 
It feels like they could have just saved a lot of time by temporarily confining Dargo somewhere. Like, I feel like you're burning a lot of time trying to convince him of what he doesn't want to be convinced of. Seriously. John kind of ushers the ladies out of the room so that he can have a man-on-man talk with Dargo. Yeah, yeah. And it's basically, hey, look, I know you have a giant boner and honor and an honor boner, but that's all stupid. She's a spy. She's going to not only, you know, kill all of us, but she's going to kill all of the people you have sworn a fealty oath to. Jesus fucking Christ, you idiot. Well, I... I do like, though, John. the way John convinces Dargo that everything he's saying is true is by using his knowledge of the future conversation he saw Dargo having with Matala. Mm-hmm. He knows, because Dargo told Matala that he couldn't go be an Alonic fighter with her because of the crime that he committed, because of the crime that he was in jail for. And there's no way John could know this unless he had seen it in a future flash. So that is finally the thing that convinces Dargo that he Sh- might be telling the truth. I okay. Shouldn't Dargo believe the future flash thing anyway, since apparently the Elonics have a tool specifically dedicated to detecting them? Right? I, I, I mean, also they could have just contained Dargo. Yeah, Okay, I, I want to say something to our listeners about the crime Dargo committed. Okay, do you want me to leave the room for this? You don't have to, I'm, I'm just going to say. Okay, I don't think the crime Dargo committed would keep him from serving with the Elonics. I think the problem is, I keep, as, as I keep uh, indicating to you, we're going to finally find out what Dargo's motivation is. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is not the crime he committed, but the thing that is his motivation will keep him from being loyal to the Alonics, not because it will affect his loyalties, but because he has a much more important thing he needs to be doing. He can't fight in a war. He has something else that is going to draw his attention. Mm. I believe that that is what he meant when he talked to Matala, and that's assuming that they already knew what his crime really was, which I'm not on, which honestly I'm not entirely sure. So Dargo is convinced that John is telling the truth because blah, 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 secrets, blah, 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 got his boss's wife pregnant. Not exactly. (laughs) Not quite. Am I in the general direction? He got his commander's sister pregnant. Okay. So close. Close. So Dargo actually apologizes to John. Wow. Yeah. So they're talking about their options at this point now that everyone's on board the whole, you know, Metalla gonna murder everyone train. Yeah, they're trying to decide if they can, like, just push her off the ship and starburst away. (laughs) I mean, push her shuttle off, I guess. Yeah. Which, why don't they just send Eren in to beat the crap out of her again? I mean, the reason she lost the fight was because she didn't know she could do the poison strike thing. That's true. Well, before they can have this conversation, they reach the rendezvous point. The thing is, they don't know if this ship is going to be filled with Alonics or Scorpions, which is unsettling. Hmm. They try to communicate with them, but they're not able to get communication. So Aaron's like, ooh, open that thing that lets me manually drive the ship and I'll just bob and weave around them. <laughs> Down in the cargo bay, Dargo goes to confront Matala, and he's all like, Hey, um, I know you're a fucking spy. And Varela's like, 
what? And everyone's like, we've been through this. We've been through this already so many times. And she pulls out her knife. She's going to stab What's-His-Bucket. And Darga's like, you might want to rethink that because that ship we're docking with, it's Elonic. I know you thought it was Scorpion, but like you were massively outgunned here. Okay, that's confusing to me. Yeah. So Metalla thought it was a Scorpion ship. Mm-hmm. But it's an Elonic ship because... Because... No. Why? Why, why was Metalla so wrong about what was going on with her own evil plan? It doesn't matter. We get a fight sequence. Yep. And, you know, John and Dargo have learned to trust each other and fight like brothers or whatever, so... John convinces Dargo not to shoot at the ship because he remembers that if you shoot at the shuttle, then... Everything blows up. Everything blows up. Which, honestly, Targo shouldn't need John to tell him that. But, that you know what? That's okay. It seems sort of space fighting 101-ish. Yeah, but that's okay. Matala tries to get away in the shuttle, and Varel realizes that he can't let the Scorpions have the weapon, so he gets rid of the containment field from where he is, which causes the weapon to overtake the shuttle that Matala's in. Moya can starburst out of there, and Matala dies in a screaming green light void. Also, it turns out that the ship was actually Scorpion, and the burst takes it out with her. Yeah, so they just lied to Matala, and she believed them? For no reason? Like, when they're like, oh, you thought Scorpions were coming, but they were actually Elonics. She was like, oh, I believe you for no reason, even though I guess I knew that the Scorpions were coming, I guess? I don't know. It's an ending. It's an ending. I love I love that Dargo says I should have seen it coming. Like wah, wah. Yes. So I guess John's over his future sight thing now. Yeah, I wondered about that too. He got it all out of his system. I mean maybe it just like wore off or maybe when the weapon was destroyed it stopped being a thing. I guess. But Rigel's got a stomachache because he ate too much food. Yep. Wah, 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 wah. Okay, so as Rigel goes off to puke and or defecate somewhere, Dargo enters the room and he's like, Hey, John, I guess you're going to make fun of me because I had a boner for a girl who tried to murder all of us. And John's like, Oh, that's just what relationships are like on Earth. <laughs> Ugh. Uh- Shut up, John. Well, okay, so he also wants to delve into what Dargo's crime was, and Dargo doesn't want to talk about it. But the main reason that I wanted to bring up this conversation about, you know, whether or not Dargo was able to think with his big head instead of his little head Mm -hmm. is because the next episode will open in the middle of Dargo going through Luxon Ponfar. God. So I feel like, and I feel like it's very connected. It's like this episode ends with Dargo being like, look, I know I got out of control because of my horniness, but don't worry, it'll never happen again. Next episode. Gilligan cut to Dargo in a rage because he's in Luxon Ponfar. Yeah, Dargo's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not normally that, you know, distracted by women. I was just super horny. You, you get it? And John's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. And then Darko wanders off and John's like, really felt like I was going to get a hand job out of that one, but okay, fine. 
episode over. I actually think we should skip our segments this week. Because goddammit, nothing happened. I don't really feel like there's a lot to delve into on our segments this week. I mean, I noticed Dargo had tentacle tattoos for the first time. Yeah, Dargo actually has a lot of tattoos. Oh, you know what? I'm... You noticed it for the first time, so I, I might just drop that in as appropriate for uh, a distant part of the universe. We're actually going to learn that Dargo's tattoos, all of his tattoos, are significant for different reasons. Like, his culture has mm. tattoos for all occasions. That's kind of neat. I, I, I like that as a story concept. I think the main reason I finally, you know, noticed it this episode is because I was so bored it was just something to focus on. Maybe that was the point, right? In this episode was to be so bored that you got to see all the little details that they put into the show. So what have we got next week? So next week is Thank God It's Friday Again. And the description is, Dargo, after threatening the crew with Luxon Hyper Rage... <laughs> Sorry. ...is later found docile and happy on a planet and decides to stay. So, that'll about do it then. Yeah, I guess that'll do it for this week. Tune in next time. And and tune in next time and keep tuning in because, listen, we are having, as our reward, as our reward for getting through back and back and back to the future, we're having a run of good episodes. We get Thank God It's Friday again, PK Tech Girl, That Old Black Magic, which honestly I feel like it's going to be a little divisive because Maldus... It's probably a pretty divisive figure, whether you love him or hate him, but we're going to love talking about it. And then DNA Mad Scientist, which is one of the greatest episodes. PK stands for Peacekeeper, right? Yes. Okay. That took me longer than it should have. You've been mentioning it for a really long time. Yes, it's Peacekeeper Tech Girl. You know what? It's funny. I, I hadn't thought about it, but because I just always knew it was Peacekeeper Tech Girl, but... Now I realize that that title is specifically trying to obfuscate that fact. Mm. Well, that's it for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you could head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above sponsors, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support us in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcast. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, and please do let us know if you want to talk about this episode, it has a 7.4 rating on IMDb, so some people must like it, right? If you're one of those people, please talk to us, because I I would love to hear what you liked about the episode. Yeah, we were really down on it, but, like, I mean... It's a subjective thing. I'm sure there are lots of people who enjoyed it. Right. So if you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs>